This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Natural disasters and large-scale emergencies can happen anytime. And you may not always be together with your family or your loved ones when these events take place. So it's important to make sure that you are prepared. Here with more on all of this is Christopher Dunham. He's the Director of Emergency Management at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Chris. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So just over in an overview how can everyone prepare for disasters? I mean, are there simple steps that people need to take? Absolutely. There's a couple of simple steps that we have, um, and there's a lot of resources online that people can look through, but basically it's develop a plan, have one ready to go, and have some simple supplies available uh, to help facilitate that plan. What are the kinds, when we talk about natural, natural disasters or large-scale emergencies, I mean, what are the hazards or emergencies that might affect you or your family? Um, it really depends on the geography or your local area. So um, certainly in central New York, we have weather of various degrees. Um, and with weather comes maybe power outages or um, road conditions that don't help us get places we need to go. Uh, we don't run into, thankfully, terrorism. Um, consistently here. Let's have our fingers yeah, crossed, Yeah, definitely Chris. not going to work. So we, we do have a lot of um, natural disasters, but we rarely get earthquakes here. So, you know, or that tornadoes, might, thank yeah, goodness. thank goodness. So that would be lower down on our list. But we, we definitely would want to maybe push maybe severe weather to the fore. I mean, are this is there a distinction between what's called natural disasters and what they call man-made disasters? And yeah. what is that distinction? Uh, the distinction is the causality. So basically, a terrorism would fall under a man-made um, industrial accidents, man-made. Um, those can be large-scale disasters sometimes. Um, like a, a terrible spill of some yeah, kind of some sort toxic of hazardous, chemical. Yep, hazardous materials incident or something like that. And then the natural disasters, tornado, uh, things like that. So let's let's talk a little bit about how people would find out about this. I mean, what's in place today? I mean, obviously, many people are tuned into their smartphones. They're connected to the Internet. And maybe to a fault, people are tuned into their screens. But, I mean, generally, how is how is the word gotten out? And how, can, how do people become informed of these kinds of things? There's a lot of resources on the web. And the government, FEMA specifically, has done a tremendously good job in creating checklists and printable items that people can use to develop their own plan to make sure that they're covering all the bases for their region. It's actually broken out by, you know, if you want to do a plan for severe weather, there's a severe weather plan. If you want to do a plan for certain other things, it's based on geography. So, if, you know, if we let we lived in a earthquake-prone region, we could do that. Um, it's actually at ready.gov. Okay, ready.gov, we'll remember that and we'll link to it. But specifically, I mean, if you're out and about doing your daily life, how are you, I mean, what's the best way you're notified? Let's say you're not near your phone. Mm. I mean, generally, what's happening kind of in our community or even on a large scale, larger scale basis to notify people that something significant is occurring? Uh, a lot of the cell phone companies have uh, instituted sort of an alert system where um, if there's pending, uh, weather is typically the thing that jumps to my mind. Uh, weather but, alert type. Yeah, weather alert things where it automatically comes to the top of your phone. That's actually, I don't want to say new technology, but it's being rolled out uh, in a robust fashion across various counties. Um, typically, people will get news alerts um, on their phone. You know, like if you have a certain news agency app on your phone, it will push forward an alert. But it, just having a general awareness of, of your environment, of your situation, certainly um, 
many, for many of us, it is not our first winter in central New York. We need to be aware of sort of changing conditions and things like that and, and, and be aware of what's going on around us. And also, don't the radio and television stations have these kind of alert mm-hmm. systems? We actually test for them every yep. month or something yeah, they to make test, sure they work? Yeah, the National Weather Service does test for them. Um, actually, they have a lot of um, automated scrolls on the bottoms of the screens and things like that. And, and they're pretty effective in, in getting the word out. So let's get to what you do, okay, in terms of being prepared. You mentioned that you want to develop an emergency plan. So is it the kind of thing you want to sit down with your family or loved ones? Is it the kind of thing you do kind of solo and then deliver it to people? What do you recommend? What do you think works best? Uh, Sitting down as a group is typically best. Um, It enables uh, everybody to have input in the plan. Um, And it's actually kind of how we do things at the hospital. We kind of gather a lot of the stakeholders together and do that. And also, if you have children, um, it enables you to kind of talk through why this is important and what they need to do and kind of go through any questions as it's being developed. And possibly what to expect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And there are things that in terms of plan development, again, looking at things that you expect to happen. Um, No one can plan for everything, but certainly, you know, like I said, uh, I would spend more time planning severe weather than tsunami. In central right. New York, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. But how about identifying the responsibilities of each member of the family? I mean, and so maybe even isolate, you know, a particular contact person because, as I said in the opening, it's quite possible that you're not going to be together yeah. when something occurs, and so there needs to be a methodology or a end individual with whom everyone kind of connects. Or a rally point or something like that. Absolutely. And, and usually um, you would want to pick maybe somebody, obviously a, a trusted friend or family member, um, who, you know, if, if no one can get a hold of anybody and there's a, a disaster and you're still able to f- safely move to that point or that person or communicate with them, that's the check-in person. Um, and that, you know, the, the key to any good plan is making sure everybody understands the plan and you communicate that. So, if you pick that rally person or that check-in person, you need to tell them. Um, and yeah. they need to be part <laughs> of the plan, too. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and, and usually getting their involvement as well. I guess also uh, along those lines, maybe this whole notion of choosing a place to meet. Yeah, there should be a Ahead couple. of time. Yeah. You know, especially if it's possible to meet at your home. In other words, if your home is not endangered, that's yeah. one thing. Right. But in some nat- natural disasters, maybe not so much here in Syracuse, you might have to evacuate Correct. your home. Correct. So you'd want to have one point for the kind of the information or the check-in. And certainly, um, you know, it, there's always that sort of rally point where if there's a house fire, which is immediately outside the house, which, you know, I have small school-age children. They get taught that immediately. I think I was taught that in school. And that's a great practice. Um, and that should be somewhere really cl- or close. But you'd want to pick somewhere outside the neighborhood a little bit in terms of the person to communicate with. Because if you're having to do that, the assumption is is you're losing either the ability to communicate effectively. You're not all in one place. You know, certainly cell phones um, are great. But during big weather events, sometimes they're not as reliable. Not functional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've got to kind of do the old-fashioned landline. Um which is a point for why people should keep landlines. <laughs> this is a bone of contention I have with my own children who mm-hmm. are millennials. But this whole idea of being able to actually stay in touch even during kind of a power outage or yep. that kind of thing. And also one of the things with cell phones you got to remember too, and maybe we'll touch on this when we develop our, our list, you have to, cell phones are great, but you got to charge them. And if there's no That's electricity, yep. you can't charge them. There's ways around it, but... Um, developing the plan and communicating that to all the members and then making sure the outside uh, 
folks know it too. If you're just joining us, you're listening to HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with emergency management expert Christopher Dunham. We're talking about disaster preparedness. So it seems to me also you need to make sure that you tell every family member to let you let to let an individual know that you're safe yes. if you're out somewhere away from your family. Absolutely. And one last thing about that is this idea of keeping track of your pets. Yes. Because if you should have to evacuate, shouldn't you be knowing where you can go that might accept a pet? Absolutely. Kind of if there's uh, local places that maybe not shelters, but maybe uh, pet-friendly hotels or motels that you'd be able to go to with them, or even family members who would be willing to take the pet well if something were to happen. So let's go over what a disaster pre- pre- preparedness supplies kit would look for. How long should it last? Uh, the minimum, I think, would be about three days. That's the minimum for every person there. So whatever you put in the kit, make sure you have enough of whatever to last three days. And that's based off of the ability, the perceived ability or time frame the state or the federal government would be able to send resources in. So We do know that in some cases, like with Katrina and other natural, terrible natural disasters, it took a lot longer than three days. It did. And actually, a lot of the preparedness stuff that came out of what's on the web now actually came from Katrina because a large number of people had nothing. And, and so let's very quickly run through just a little bit of a laundry list of the kinds of things you'd want in your disaster preparedness kit. Absolutely. First and foremost, water. You've got to have one gallon of water per person per day. So if, if, if it, the, the kit is just for me, I need three gallons to go three days. Um, if you get somebody who, you know, is, um, and that's children, one gallon per person per day, you know, that way you'd have a little bit more than that. Does that include water for cooking and or bathing or uh, uh, brushing no. your teeth? Uh, or? Yeah, pretty much you can use that as what they term potable water, whether it be drinking and or maybe, you know, doing some brushing of the teeth or, or maybe a little cooking with it. Mm-hmm. Um, more water is always better. So a minimum of, of three minimum, gallons absolutely. per individual. Absolutely. What else? Um, food. Food is usually a really big ticket item for three days. Non-perishable items are very important. So canned goods, that Absolutely. kind of thing. Absolutely. And things that you might not need to heat up. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because Stuff you, you can may eat not cold. have Right. You might not have a microwave. How about some other things? How about medications? Uh, you'd want about two, a couple weeks worth of medications, as much as possible, which I realize might be hard for some folks to do. They should have a conversation with their doctor that they're doing this, and maybe they'd be able to get some help there. At least to stockpile some Absolutely. extra stuff Absolutely. just in case. How about your pets? Should you be putting oh, yeah. away stuff for You've your pets? You've got to have um, not only you know food and maybe treats or whatever for three days, but put toys for them. Also, um, diapers, infant formula, things for small children, and and you know simple things like games and car- decks of cards and board games and things like that. Because you know, if you are in a natural disaster and the power's out, the uh, video games aren't going to work very well. How about records or, you know, in terms of what your possessions are, that kind of thing? Is it important to, for yes. example, take pictures of the valuable things in your home? Let's say it's a flood type yep. circumstance. Pictures would help. Um, certainly documentation on the house, uh, copies of birth certificates, copies of maybe marriage certificates, um, copies of even deeds or any sort of like, um, especially um, vehicle registration and things like that. All that. All that insurance information is especially important. You Birth certificates, have, passports, yeah, that kind of absolutely. thing. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to mention, going back to food, and we were talking about canned goods, you want to remember to have a manual uh, can opener. Yes. Because <laughs> many people yes. depend on the electric yes. one. That's not going to help. Yeah, you got to have the old-fashioned <clears> one. How about batteries or radios, that kind of thing, first aid kits? Uh, radios, they make actually some nice radios now that are actually hand-crank. Um, batteries, oh. 
batteries are great, but you know, again, batteries do don't last forever. Um, flashlights are very important. Uh, you know, it's just after Halloween now, so there's a lot of those glow sticks. Those are good to have around too. Um, but flashlights are very important. How about first aid kits? First aid kits are great. Um, certainly, you're going to get cuts and things that you know, normal course of business, and having that is always important. So, bottom line is. Um, I also read somewhere, keep your gas tank full. Yes. <laughs> so that's a habit maybe to get into. Yes. Because yes. we never know no, you how never long know. we might be stuck somewhere. Exactly. And, and, you know, certainly running it down to E is not a very good option. Now, you represent the hospital. Your job is basically emergency preparedness for the hospital. Yes. What are the kinds of things that, you're, that you worry about, or how do you prepare for emergencies? For the hospital. Well, emergency preparedness upstate is a team sport, and we prepare for a large influx of patients, um, hazmat incidents, and a large number of other big ticket items because upstate can't simply just put a closed sign on the front door. So how do you prepare, just really briefly? Um, We develop plans. We stockpile supplies that go along many days for all of our patients um, and for most of our staff. And And is there training for your staff in terms of it? Oh, very much so. Very much so on a yearly basis. Um, we try to train as much as we can. So you're ready. So I if we so, have yes. any kind of a disaster, you're ready. I believe we are. I want to thank you for coming in. That's very reassuring to know. And I appreciate all your great information. My guest has been Christopher Dunham. He's the Director of Emergency Management at Upstate Medical University. And once again, Chris, you always come in with a lot of very important information. So thanks so much for that. Thank you. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink On Air.